Oh, my word, it's good to see you today. I, I tell you what, it's been, it's been wild kingdom in my life this week. <laughs> so went up to Green Lake for a board meeting as well as a pre-meeting on our trip. Got a great list of projects. And while we're there, we're in the room and we look out and this, this fawn that, I mean, it couldn't have been more than a day or two old is standing there with mama. It's the coolest thing, teetering and whatever. Come around the back of Roger Williams the next day. There are twins kind of just staring me down. It was the best. So then yesterday, I go to fill the hummingbird feeder out here, and all of a sudden, I hear, quack, 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 quack. I'm like, well, that's not hummingbird. And, and, and out from under the bush, this duck goes on out. That thing has laid nine or ten eggs underneath the bush just outside the window. So, so if it looks like there's a little viewing gallery today <laughs> over by the restroom, that's what's going on. It's just, what a fun thing. Yeah. It's, been, it's been a blast. My so, favorite, I mean, you sent about a million pictures of those deer, and the one, he was hiding behind like three pieces of long grass, thinking that he's, you know, unseeable. That's pretty funny. It was really hilarious. He, he thought he was so stealthy. I'm like, you're a joke. <laughs> Stu coming. Anyway, I'm, I'm sorry. Did I say that? No, I'm kidding. Anyway, no, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So uh, how are you? I haven't seen you all week. I know. I've been gone. I know. Uh, I'm energized. Last week of school, then one deep breath, and then Green Lake. So I'm, <laughs> I'm fired up. Um, but I'm also excited for today. Because today, from 3 to 6, our revivers are going over to Village Church. We're meeting up with Village, Mission, and Grace, all the, the high school students there. And we are inviting our soon-to-be freshmen. So 8th graders, they, you guys still have one more Wednesday left of Refuge. But you're allowed to come with us today. And not allowed. You're encouraged to come with us today. Um, to, to come get a taste of what, what high school is like. Uh, so incoming freshmen and all of our regular high schoolers will be meeting over at Village today at, from 3 to 6. That's rain or shine, doesn't matter. They do have a contingency plan in place just in case something happens, but I think it might be more fun if it does rain and we go ahead and do everything that we want to do anyway. That is cool. That is cool. So a couple things for you to know. We sent out the, the update yesterday. If you don't get that, make sure to let the people know out there at the Info Hub. We'd love for you to get this. This is in place of our paper bulletin. Paper bulletin is never coming back. So saving, saving some little trees there. And, <laughs> and you get this every week on Saturday. It gives you all kinds of information. One of the pieces of information you got is we have enough Cheerios we have, we have a mountain of Cheerios. Literally floor to ceiling. <clears throat> yes. So Cheerios, awesome. <laughs> we got the Cheerios. What we're asking for now, if by next week you'd bring a seedless watermelon. It'll be fun to have a whole van full of watermelon and heading on up to Green Lake. And but, Bob is going to have to drive it. Yeah, there we go. If you don't right. know, Bob Coyne hates watermelon because hey, he's yeah. not human. Um, so we're going to make a him water, a cut watermelon and hater. serve all the watermelon. <laughs> we're, coming right down, we're coming right down to the end of uh, Quest Sign Up. Yeah. for those small group guides. I think, I think it closes June 1st. It's, it's coming. What's that? For all leaders. So it's coming right up. So I know some of you, you're those, oh yeah, I'll sign up later. It's later. Get <laughs> signed up. Get signed up. And then next week, we're, we're going to have fun. We're headed back outside. Uh, we're calling it the Blessing on the Berm. We're doing three of these this, year, uh, this summer. We'll do Memorial Day, 4th of July, Labor Day, outside. You're like, well, where's the berm? Just look for the highest point on the property, and you've found the berm. It's the, it's the pile on the other end. It's actually to the north, which I know some of you are going to spend the rest of the day going, that's not north. No, God ordained, that's north. There it is. So out that direction, you need to bring a lawn chair or a blanket to sit on. We don't take inside chairs outside because then they get clumpy dirt in them, and it makes them a mess. So bring a lawn chair or a blanket. 
And then afterward, we're going to do a picnic. Mm -hmm. So we'll provide the hot dogs, the plates, the silverware, the water. And we're asking you to bring, I always laugh because we say a dish to pass, but we never pass the dish. <laughs> so a dish to table. If you would bring a dish to table, whether it's a side or a dessert or a salad, whatever, bring that and we will share them together and have some fun zip lining and all kinds of stuff on the yeah. property that's lots of fun. Yeah, as soon mm. as the... Uh, the cookout is over. My Green Lake team, so that's all of my adult leaders, my college leaders. In case you didn't see the message that went out yesterday, we are going to be meeting as soon as that's over, uh, just for about an hour. So not if you are on the adult work team, just my squad. In case you didn't see it already, um, we're going to be meeting at that time. So you, I mean, you understand, of course, the concept of earworm, right? Yeah. Makes me crazy when, when a song mm. drills its way into my head and won't let go. I'm gross. not kidding. Up until Thursday, Make Room would not leave my head. I'd lay down. There's the song. Everywhere I went, the song was there. So I refused to wait until the end of the service <laughs> to hear this song. Our team's coming right now, and we're going to make room for Make Room. <laughs> Go ahead and have a seat. I love that our, you know, our, our leaders in worship have great sensitivity to the message behind a song. That's, that's really a huge determining factor as to whether or not we do a song. And, and when that song came up, they were sensitive to, is it okay to say, break down the walls of my tradition and, and shake up my, my religion? It's like, absolutely, absolutely, because religion and tradition are not God. They're not God. Even theology is not God. And too many people want to align themselves with those things and not align themselves with the Word of God and who God really is. So this morning we want to make room for God to do whatever He wants to. We're coming down to the final steps of what has been a long journey, a journey through the Psalms of Ascents. We started in 120, it ends at 134, and we're at 133 today. So I called you back on up here to go ahead and read these psalms to us, just like we have all the other times, reading it in the more literal English Standard Version, and then going on over to the more flowery Eugene Peterson message. So give us this passage, three verses in all. A Song of Ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. 
For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And then from the message. A song of sense of David. How wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down the head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing and ordains eternal life. Thanks so much. So, Psalm 133. We come to this particular psalm. It's, it's probably one of the more familiar of the psalms of ascent. In fact, songs have been written about this song. They've literally been written. I mean, if, uh, a few years back, my goodness, it was the early 2000s, we used to sing a Tommy Walker song, How Good and Pleasant It Is When We Dwell Together in Unity. It's been written. We've said these words. We know these words. We read these words, and we understand that there is something incredible when a church is living together in, in really beautiful, per- perfect unity. Throughout these psalms, we've gone from getting a sense of of who we are, it's given us perspective, and then we get the idea of what happens when tough times happen in the journey, and now it's as if the psalmist is saying, hey, don't forget you're traveling with some people. We're on this journey together. Don't forget, don't forget your traveling partners. You look at the psalm, and especially as you look at, at the uh, English Standard Version of it, it says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And almost every other translation of the Bible, even the ones that do gender inclusive, just use the word brothers. And some of you be like, well, what about the sisters? Aren't they part of, part of unity as well? The writer is David. King David is the one writing this. And I suspect, I've not read this in commentaries, but I suspect this is a piece of what's going on in the mind of David. While he's writing this to the community of God, he's got in the back of his mind the community he grew up in. He's got in the back of his mind the brothers. He had no sisters. He only had brothers. And those brothers did not always get along. In fact, some of the highlighted passages in Scripture of him with his siblings have been points of rivalry and frustration. I mean, you think about the fact that that Samuel comes to the house to anoint a king of Israel, and all the brothers are there except David, the littlest. He's out tending the sheep. He's not even part of what's going on. He wasn't even invited in for the moment to see his brother become king. And then a little later, you remember, he's he's told by his dad to take some supplies up to the front lines of the battle. And he takes the supplies on up, and his older brother gets on him. What are you doing here, you little show-off? You're just here to try to see what's going on, what the action is all about. I suspect that from time to time, the brothers got along. And in those moments the brothers got along, the youngest said, I wish it could be this way all the time. I wish it could be this way all the time. Maybe you've gone through that yourself. You're involved in a family situation that for the most part, uh, it's not always really great. And, and one Thanksgiving, you walk away and you go, nobody threw turkey at each other. Wow. Did, did you notice that even Meanie Pants gave a compliment? And, and you're kind of like, that th- I wish we could do this all the time, but at least we got it once. At least we got it once. I think David is recognizing that unity isn't always there. And when it's there, man, you better hold on to it. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So the dictionary gives us a definition of unity. And I want you to see it talks about a, a state of being one in oneness, a whole or totality as combining all parts into one. It's a state or fact of being united or combined into one. I love all that. I don't like number four. Number four is not a definition of unity. It says absence of diversity, unvaried, or uniform character. 
Uniformity is not unity. We can still be incredibly diverse and be unified. In fact, we can only be unified when we are incredibly diverse. I I think the times in which we live, people are trying to squeeze everything into one mold and say, everything's got to look like the other, and then we'll finally be unified. No, then we'll finally be goose-stepping in uniformity. But we will not be unified. We, we experience unity when we enjoy and appreciate the difference of genders, the difference of races, the difference of, of mindsets. We enjoy those things, and that's what brings about perfect, sweet, and beautiful unity. God calls us to something far greater than everybody just look and act like Dennis. Oh, what a church that would be. Yuck. So, What's going on in this passage? What is he saying? Because as you read it, you're kind of like, I get that unity is precious, but, but what's all this Weston oil on, Dave, on, on, on Aaron? And, or on, yeah, you know, it, it just, it's not making sense to me. What's, what's this all about? So, so let's break it down a little bit. As we do, I want to take you back to, I think it was seventh grade English or sixth or fifth. You can tell me when it was. Do you remember what a simile is? Similes and metaphors. Some of you are shaking your head. Some of you are like, English? What? Yeah, right. A simile. A simile is when you make a figurative comparison using the words like or as. So a something is like this or as this. It's figurative. It's not meant to be taken absolutely completely literally. All right? It's a picture. It's a picture of something giving us an idea of what something is like. David gives us two similes in this passage. And both of them are given so that we can have a better understanding of how good and pleasant it is when people dwell together in unity. He begins with the first one. He says, it's like the precious oil on the head running down the beard, on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down onto the collar of his robes. So when the high priest was ordained, they would take oil, precious oil, lots of oil, not just a little drip, lots of oil. And they would pour it on the priest. Just pour it. And it would drip. It would drip through his hair. It would drip through his long beard. It would drip onto his beautiful, beautiful garment and just drip all over him. I am so glad in 1990 when I was ordained in Oakville, Missouri, oil wasn't part of the program, all right? No oil. But here he is standing there. He's all dressed up in this beautiful moment and there, bloop, 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 Weston oil. All over, all over Aaron. And somehow that's a picture of unity. Now we're going to talk about how it is in a moment, but let's look at the other one. It says it's like the dew of Hermon, Mount Hermon. So you have the dew of this particular mountain. What is this all about? The dew of the mountain which falls down on Zion. Well, we see the oil and the beard, and then we see the analogy to Mount Hermon, this simile. Why don't you see a picture of Mount Hermon? Here it is. You didn't know there were beautiful snow-capped mountains in Israel. Israel, you're kind of imagining a lot of desert. You can drive a couple of hours and go to one of the best ski resorts in the area on Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is is the highest place in Israel. Now, we've been saying that Jerusalem, or Mount Zion, is the high place of Jerusalem, and it is. But there's a higher place in Israel, and that is Mount Hermon. I want to give you an idea, a picture of where it is. Not only is it the highest place, but it's the, at the absolute most northern part of the nation. So you have to go all the way. You see the, the black dot up there. There's Mount Hermon. 
The green down here, green and green and tan, this is Israel. And then you see the line and it, and it becomes pretty much just tan. That's Lebanon. Syria on this side. See Damascus over there. You have this uh, dotted line, UN boundary, that's a buffer zone between Israel and Syria. And all the way at the top of the dotted line, there's Mount Hermon, the northernmost part of Israel, way up there at the top. And people would be able to go there from a distance. They'd see the snow. Here you are, literally in the desert, the arid desert, staring at a snow-capped mountain. And it's from that snow-capped mountain that water was able to come on down into the land of Israel and make a place that is a desert into a beautiful, uh, beautiful place to live. Now, what, what, what's a little interesting as you're reading this, he says, it's like the dew from Mount Hermon covering Mount Zion. I'm going to give you a little picture here, okay? Let's look at the whole nation. Mount Hermon, way at the top. Jerusalem, we know Mount Zion is in Jerusalem. A couple hundred miles. This is like me saying, it's like the dew of Shanahan flowing down on Bloomington. And you're kind of like, what is your problem, dude? That, that, that doesn't work that way. Even with a good wind, it's not going to make its way all the way there. What is going on here? What is the picture that David is trying to draw? Well, we're going to go back and look at both analogies now because both are basically saying the same thing. The first, it talks about precious oil on the head. I've kidded a couple times about Weston oil. This wasn't the olive oil that you buy over at Walmart, the cheapo depot stuff. This was, this was expensive precious oil that was poured on the priest's head. And it would be poured over him and it would drip down him. And the pouring over and the dripping down was to give a picture of something coming from above and ascending on him, literally receiving, being covered by the Spirit. And it came from God himself, from above him and poured down over him. And, and so we have this picture of, of precious oil covering the priest. You look at the dew, it's the same idea. If you're living in a desert, dew is precious. Out here, you want to go move the hose in the lawn in the morning, you walk through in your sneakers and you're like, oh man, my shoes are already soaked, my socks are messed up, i got to change my shoes. In the desert, you would love to have some dew on the ground. It's so rare. It's so precious. And so part of what David is saying is, this, this unity, when you got it, you got to understand you have something that's so valuable. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. It's an incredibly valuable commodity. But beyond the value of it, there's also this picture of the oil being poured from above, or if you take this analogy as well, Mount Zion, the lower mountain, though it is the most spiritual place, the most sacred place in Israel, it's the lower mountain. Hermon is the higher mountain, and the higher mountain blesses the lower mountain. So it's simply a way of David giving us a picture to say, you don't, you don't invent unity. You don't contrive unity. You don't make unity happen. Unity is something that comes pouring on you from God. And when you have unity, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. That oil poured on you, make every effort to keep that unity through the bond of peace. 
So he's giving us these pictures and basically saying unity when you got it is tremendously precious and unity when you got it, you need to recognize it. It is from God. It comes from no other source. It is from God and God alone. So I want to spend the the remainder of our time talking about some essential elements of unity. How does unity become part of a body, especially a church body? How do we enjoy unity together? I want to look at just three essential elements. I I think you could probably come up with a few more, but as I really thought through and wrestled with this, there were just just a couple that came, came came to the forefront. The first is this. An essential of unity is alignment. You need alignment. You can't have unity and, and be going in all kinds of different directions. You need alignment. You understand the concept of alignment when it comes to your car. You're driving along and you take your hand off the wheel and all of a sudden your car just starts either drifting to the right or making a sharp turn to the right or a sharp turn to the left because, because your car is out of alignment. You get that car up to 50, 60, 70 and whatever you illegally drive down the road and your car is doing this as you're going. Why? Because your wheels are out of alignment. They're shaking and shaking and shaking like crazy and they need to be aligned again so that you can speed and not shake. I think 2020 revealed something. The evangelical church is out of alignment. The evangelical church is is dramatically out of alignment. It's been a year that was full of potholes, more potholes than I-80. It's been a year between, between COVID and the political climate and the social climate and everything that's going on. It has been a year where boom, 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 we keep just banging our tires, banging our wheels, and getting further and further out of alignment. But the lack of alignment didn't begin in 2020. It began a long time before that. Because so many in the church of Jesus Christ have stopped aligning themselves from the only thing to which we're supposed to be aligned, and that's this, God's word, period. We become aligned with all kinds of other things, we become aligned with, with, with political movements. We become aligned with, with social movements. We've taken on all these different things. We've gone to all these different sources, and we've aligned ourselves with them, not realizing, not realizing at all that, that they're, they may not be way off biblically, but they're just enough off biblically that before you know it, our car is beginning to shake, and we find ourselves in disagreements and wondering why, and it's because we're not aligning ourselves to the only source with which we can truly be aligned. You know, not long ago, we're walking through a couple of airports, and and there's this new phenomenon in the airport. It makes me absolutely nuts. I can't believe more people don't break their face in the airport, because everybody is walking like this. Literally, everybody I'm seeing is walking the whole time with their snoot in this thing. They're just, they're just staring. Some people tick-tocking away as they're walking. They're just boom, boom, boom. You're watching them scroll through their tick-tock. And, and as I'm watching that, I'm thinking, you know what? That's what God intended his word to be. God intended that our snoot be in his word day and night. And yet most of us, Sunday morning, we get a verse on the screen and we go, that was good. See you next week. How in the world are we supposed to be aligned to God and to God's causes when we're barely ever in this book? But we're spending a ton of time with our face here, checking out our, our, our favorite news source, no matter which way it may bend, 
checking out our favorite cause, all of these things. You know what's happening with this thing and all of it? It's forming our minds. And the thing of it is, God intended this to form our minds. You know why we're badly out of alignment? Because this is not what's forming our minds anymore. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, hey, there are people that would claim to be aligned with the Bible that have taken on some pretty false uh, doctrine. I mean, let's face it, our entire nation fought a huge battle, and both sides said, God is on my side, and I can defend my position from the Bible. I was in a a conversation uh, a couple years ago where someone said, there were people in our country that used the Bible, used biblical references in order to defend slavery. And I had to challenge that, because they didn't use the Bible to defend slavery. They misused the Bible to defend slavery. They misused what the Word of God said to defend slavery. They did not use the Bible. You know the the problem with when we come to aligning ourselves with the Word of God, here's what we need to realize. We come to the Word of God with our biases, our opinions, our agendas, and far too many of us come with the agenda and go, let me find a verse that says what I think. Instead of, let me see what God says and be formed by what God says. We will only experience true alignment when our nose is in this book. Wasn't long ago that I I was told by somebody to check out a church's website talking about sources for social justice, to try to understand the social justice movement better. And in this particular website, there were 10 books listed, all by brilliant Harvard professors. And you know what kind of stunned me in that book, in that book list? This book wasn't on the list. And some would say, well, it's a church. Of course, it was assumed that book was on the list. No, it's not assumed anymore. It is not assumed that people will start here to understand what God has to say. Our alignment comes when we're all doing this. And we're all doing this together. You know, one of the things I've loved this past year about our journey groups, more journey groups this year just took a book of the Bible and said, let's study it together. Let's read it alone and come together and talk about what it says. And in the process of reading it and then coming together, there's a real danger in doing theology alone. We come up with some harebrained stuff when we do theology alone. But when we come together and discuss it together, it's beautiful what grows from that. So alignment, there needs to be alignment. In my church growing up, if you were able to go there today in North Tonawanda at 530 Meadow Drive, you would think you saw Noah's Ark tipped upside down. It's a big old arch. And on the inside, there's a cross at the front, and then there's a verse on the wall. I saw it every Sunday of my life, John 17, 17, where Jesus said, sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth. What's that verse saying? Get your nose in the word. We will experience unity when we're all aligning to this. When we're all aligned to our own causes, we are going to shake out of control. We're going to have a million problems. But when we're aligned to the Word of God, great things happen. So one essential element of unity is alignment. Let me give you another, and that's investment. To be invested in each other and with each other. John 17, this is the passage in which Jesus is giving his final prayer to and about the church and about his followers, and it's all about unity. The whole passage is about unity. He says, I don't only ask these things for for my disciples, but for those who will believe in me through their word. You know what he's saying there? I pray this for Southfield. 
pray this for everyone that will become a Christ follower because of the disciples, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be that they may also be, oh my, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He wanted us to experience oneness. And how do we experience oneness? We experience, experience it by investing in each other, by investing in the relationships, by investing in together. What does that investment look like? I think there are two essential elements of the investment we need to give to each other. And the first is the investment of trust. We need to invest trust in each other. Now, I know every once in a while you might, you might think of somebody or say of somebody or, or somebody might say of you, I, I, I don't know that I can trust you. I don't think I can trust you. Can I tell you the truth? You can trust no one. You can, I, you're thinking, what a cynic. Hey, are you sinful? Are you broken? Nobody can be trusted. Nobody. Nobody. The only being in the world that can be trusted is God. You know what that means? As broken people, we choose to trust broken people. We choose to give that investment of trust to each other, to risk, to risk vulnerability with each other in order that we might grow in unity together. And so if you're waiting until it's completely safe to trust, you will wait until your funeral. Because it is never completely safe to trust. But you will only grow when you make the investment of trust in other people. It involves an investment of trust. And it also involves an investment of time. Acts 2.42 to 47 describes the church brand new. The oil of the Spirit is running all over this church. The flame is still fresh on their heads. And what does it say in verse 6? Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They're together all the time. Modern church, we're together for an hour on Sunday. Half the time to listen to a talking head and half the time to listen to some good singing. And then we walk away. See you next week. It is hard to be unified when we're not together. We need together time. We need together time to get to know each other, to be able to invest that trust in each other, to be able to, to understand, to be able to look at the Word of God together and grow together. We need together time. You've got to invest together time. But let me take this in another angle as well. We live in, I think, one of the most difficult seasons our state has ever experienced to be a citizen of our state. Do you know that over the last couple of years, our church has lost probably a couple hundred people, including dad, mom, and kids? You're like, where'd they all go? Mission? Village? No. Tennessee and Wisconsin and North Carolina and Florida and Texas and Arizona and Colorado and everywhere else, that's the promised land. Because everybody's an Illinois. <laughs> right? They're Illinois, and they want out. I mean, it's tough, folks. When I have a friend, when, you know, when I'm talking to my friend, and I'm saying, almost at 8,000 in property taxes, and they say, we moved to Tennessee, we're paying 400. Every sin in my being, 
Jealousy, greed, envy, bitterness, wrath. Ah! It's all there. Glad I got off Facebook because I'd be going nuts. It is hard to grow unity when we don't determine to stay together. And we're, I mean, we're in tough season, right? Every time we turn around, someone else is saying, I'm going to the promised land. You know what the promise is? The person sitting next to you. The relationship that you get to grow. It's being able to be present shortly after Jared Beaker is born and then see him as a college student. It's investing your life in other people and being willing to be there. There are things I never would have seen if I hadn't stayed here for 25 years. When are we going to decide that this forms our decisions on our future? That our relationships form our decisions on our future? This matters. I know some of you are real tense right now. I, I could be talking about adultery and you'd feel better right now than this. Because you've already, you've already got your bags packed and sale sign is in the garage. It is hard to grow in unity when every time you turn around, someone else is saying, I'm gone. It's hard. So let me at least say this to you. I don't know if you ever watched the series MASH. Remember Klinger? I won't get into all Klinger's social issues, but anyway... Klinger was a mess. Klinger wanted out of Korea so bad he was willing to do anything. Do you remember the final episode of, Korea, of, of MASH, what, it, what Klinger did? He got married and he stayed in Korea. And everybody thought he was out of his blooming mind. And over the last couple of years, Kim and I keep talking and we keep having this same conversation. Someone needs to be old here. Someone needs to pass 55 and not walk away. I don't know what God holds for me. I don't know how long I'll live. I don't know what the future holds, but I know this. I'm committed to you. I'm committed to our together. We grow in unity by being together. We need to be together. Let me give you the last one, and that's divine intervention. I probably could have started here. Maybe shouldn't have said anything else. Because the reality is unity is not experienced without God. It's not experienced without God. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's something God already gave us. I'm going to say something that may hurt your ears, so hear me completely. Okay? I, I'm, I'm being completely serious. The KKK is in complete alignment. Right? The KKK is together. And the KKK is not unified. There is no unity. There is only division and destruction and everything that is ungodly. I could have called this particular psalm being about community. You can have community and not have unity because you only have unity when you have the blessing of God pouring down on you. It is only when we have the blessing of God pouring. It is only when we have his intervention that we truly have unity. So we can be aligned, and that's important. We can be together, and that's vital. But it's the oil flowing down your face and your beard and your collar. It's the dew of Hermon being splashed on you and splashed and splashed. It's God intervening. 
that ultimately gives us tremendous unity. That's normal. That's normal for the Christ follower. And that unity is only experienced through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We're going to be singing a few songs together, and as we sing those songs, we're going to invite you to take the move to communion. Tables at the front and the back. We've got gluten-free on the side stage as well as one at the, at the back table over there. Take the walk to communion, and as you do, would you, would you experience and celebrate the unity that God has given us as a church? Because I think in many ways, He's given us tremendous unity. Uh, after the 8 o'clock service, I was talking to somebody who's been here literally the entire time that I've been here. And she said, uh, do you remember when we voted on the carpet in 1996? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> and she went through three or four other memories that I never want to pull up ever, ever again. <laughs> Seasons of tremendous disunity. We have sweet unity. How good a depression it is when brothers and sisters don't take unity for granted but nurture it and grow it because it is a gift from God and he wants you to enjoy it. So let's stand. We'll start to sing. Go get communion.
got about a million thoughts going through my head. It's like a, a bunch of squirrels just running, making me crazy. I'm kind of wondering, for example, what's going to earworm me this week? Because we just got a catalog of songs. It was crazy, right? And wonderful. Normal sings, and we love to sing. Great to be able to sing. I, I, I guess one of the thoughts that came to my mind as I was standing here is that simple line, I choose us. I love you and I love being part of this family and I choose us. You know, if I hadn't been here for a long time, I'd never know that you talk, let alone sing, Lorelai, hiding behind her mom or dad's leg and here she is singing. If, if I hadn't been here a long time, Nikel, you went away to college and you got even better at this. And you're beating me in fantasy baseball this week. You're not allowed to do that to your pastor. And you, ha, the little boy that used to show up every week in his baseball uniform, sings and plays. And we get to see that. And we get to see all the gifts that God has brought out in all of you. You see, when we choose, when we choose each other, we get to see diversity in action. And it's great, beautiful unity. This is what church looks like. I love being able to go to places like Green Lake and pastors are moaning about their churches and moaning about their faithless treasurers and moaning about their trustee boards and moaning about their deacon boards. And I'm like, I love my church. It's a great place, great people, great place to be because of the people, because of the unity we have. And here we are talking about alignment and now we've been able to sing our alignment. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ, his son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe he died, was buried, and rose again. I believe we will be together forever in heaven because of all of us. And guess what? Once we get there, nobody's leaving. We're all staying, and it'll be wonderful. So they're going to play us out. You enjoy your week. See you next week on the lawn.